dad's family, um, you know, he's his father worked in the Hunters Point shipyards. So, you know, long-term union family in that way. But uh, as kind of happened with the rest of this country, that didn't continue on to a sense of, you know, broader social engagement. That was musician and activist Patrick O'Malley. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, you'll hear from musicians, bartenders, photographers, and San Franciscans from all walks of life, telling stories, sharing personal histories, and trying to put into words what makes this city so special. Welcome to episode 37, part one. Patrick grew up down in El Cajon in Southern California. He started playing guitar in his early teens and moved to Santa Barbara after high school. A few years later, he joined his sister up in San Francisco. In this podcast, Patrick talks about his arrival in the city, some of the first jobs he had, and his political awakening, which took place during the time of Tom Amiano's write-in campaign against Willie Brown for mayor back in 1999. If you want to check out Patrick's music and maybe say hi, he'll be at Simple Pleasures Cafe tonight from 7 to 9. Here's Patrick. Um, yeah, so I grew up in El Cajon, which is East County in San Diego, um, and I lived there for most of my early life. I lived uh, for a year in England. I went to school there. My dad was um, teaching at a school. We did an exchange program. Um, so, yeah, and Southern California is um, it's interesting. I mean, San Diego is kind of like the, I mean, in a lot of ways, you kind of feel like the, the sort of poor cousin of L.A. You know, L.A.'s got all the, you know, the big clubs and all the you know, in Hollywood and all that. Um, but you had Mexican better. Oh, way better Mexican food. And yeah, and you know. Still to this day. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, hands down. Um, yeah, and living obviously right on the border, you know, as you're in high school, you go back and forth to, you know, shows and clubs and all that kind of stuff in, in Tijuana, so. Yes. So that was an interesting part of, um, yeah, so let's see. I went to uh, public schools. Um, I, uh, I'm trying to think how I got started here so i picked up the guitar around 13 or so was the guitar lying around your parents yeah you know my mom had a uh you know a nylon string guitar that you know left over from the you know the what, 60s they they called it a folk guitar you know yes. it's a folk guitar right um so I, I would mess around on that when i was younger but uh, i got a ukulele somewhere around junior high and i started playing with that and then moved on to the guitar and started writing songs i guess in high school oh wow okay yeah but uh, that early period, I mean, I'm really interested in like the music I liked before I started playing guitar, mm-hmm. you know, before I sort of started getting an idea of myself as a, I think there's such a, a more interesting time period where you, you like all kinds of different eclectic things, you know, as a big, like loved, like, you know, Peter Gabriel, but also like delight and the black crows and like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you're sampling. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, you're, like you said, you're learning to, f- and you don't have a fixed musical identity or a right. fixed aesthetic identity. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a real powerful, like time period as a, you know, as anybody, as an artist, as a, you know, um, yeah. So I'm interested in that era and just, uh, you know, how that kind of shaped the stuff that I like now. It sounds like your, your parents might've been, a little bit of, of an influence as far as like just having music around and, and yeah and, there were and musical instruments too yeah yeah musical instruments were around I mean we were we were a big like reading house so there was always books it was one of those you know those houses where there was always something interesting like 
you know, to read or hanging on the walls or whatever. So there was definitely that in a very, um, you know, a very verbal house. We talk, talk, we, talk, 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 talk. Yeah. Were you one of the uh, houses that didn't have a TV? Oh, no, we had a TV. Okay. But yeah. like you, you uh, mitigated or measured yeah. TV watch. Yeah, we definitely, I mean, I watched a hell of a lot of TV though. Oh, <laughs> honestly, okay. Honestly, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. But we're also just culturally a very much a talking family so yeah um, so that was good my dad read to us at, at a young age so like we you know got used to words and using them in constructions it's helped me a lot of my life it made me people people think i'm a lot smarter than i am you know <laughs> <laughs> no please keep talking <laughs> um okay so so i guess let's let's go back to um you starting to pick up instruments and um, kind of forming, like you said, like your musical identity, yeah. your identity through music. So I liked a lot of, um, you know, I liked a diverse amount of things. I also really got into kind of old American music. So my dad had a box of 78s from my grandfather. And like San Diego at that time, there was a lot of, you know, the kind of early country stuff before, I guess, pre-Hank Williams, you know, when country was still kind of this weird mix of like, it's like a big band, but with violins, you know? Um, so fiddles fiddles right (laughs) (laughs) so there's a lot of that stuff and a lot of like uh you know the calypso craze things from that so i listened to a lot of that um yeah and i started writing my own songs many of which are just terrible (laughs) (laughs) well you were like 16 how old were you yeah 14 i guess i probably started writing like um you know and i mean that said like for a 14-year-old, there are some interesting moments. I mean, it's not all derivative, but I remember I'm um, getting really into, I mean, Camper Van Beethoven and Robin Hitchcock and Billy Bragg, you know, these sort of formative. And then when I started playing open mic nights in high school, you know, and somebody would come up to me and it's like, oh, you must be a Robin Hitchcock fan. And, you know, my 16-year-old mind, I'm like, where did you get that from? I don't know, because you're <laughs> like in San Diego and speaking with an English accent, maybe. <laughs> wow, so you were... Was it only open mic nights that you were doing, or were you gigging yet? I wasn't gigging. I was yeah. just doing open mic nights and trying to form a band with my friends. And that's what I was going to ask: yeah. Were you solo, or were you playing with? Others? Mostly trying to form a band. Like that was, you know, like that that sort of teenage dream. Like everything. Oh, if I only had a band, if I only could get some, you know. So, how did you go? Was it just word of mouth? Is this before Craigslist or? Yeah, it's all before Craigslist and just you know friends and you do the typical kind of thing that you you did with, you know, rock back then. It's like you get a group of friends, give them an instrument, yeah, play this, <laughs> yeah, play this I, instrument and play this, right? Yeah, song. exactly. Yeah, and yeah, we'll figure it out from there. So, yeah, but that's very singer songwriter Yeah, right. That's you know, it's yeah. You just you, it's your band. You just need folks to play totally. the difference, or you could go one man band, right? Direction. <laughs> yeah, but you're right though. It was definitely more of a singer songwriter route. That was what I was interested in. That you know that perfect mix in my mind of like melodies and words. You know that I found so transcendent. And uh, you said some of those early songs. You're like, there's a lot of terrible. What were you singing about? Oh. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It's a mix. There was a lot of, uh, you know, the the mid-90s had that, and especially in, in Southern California, you know, there's that kind of like wicked carnival aspect, you know, everything is like, it's a clown, but it's dark, you know? And <laughs> so there was a little bit of that kind of like uh, 
Tim Burton-y surrealist aspect, and then things that I picked up from, um, you know, a lot of those old records. So there was like, you know, river boats and stuff like that floating in and out. So it was, it was an awkward mix of a lot of stuff. I hadn't really gotten to writing about my own experiences yet. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, really the stuff that I, I, there was a lot of English influence with, you know, Robin Hitchcock kind of stuff, you know, so I really wanted those aspects. It wasn't quite as Americana as it could have been. Okay. Well, okay. So this is, so now we're in high, you're in high school. Um, did you ever form that band or form a band? I had a couple bands. I mean, I also played guitar on, on other people's bands. It was, you know, in, in Southern California, it's hard to get out of that sort of like everything kind of stalls. I mean, I'm sure it's not this way now, but like everything kind of stalled around classic rock radio, you know? <laughs> so like whatever band you get into, you're going to be playing some sort of blues rocky kind of thing. So I did, I did that for a while, but I didn't really get my own musical identity until I went away to Santa Barbara, probably. I went to City College there for, uh, I got an associates and did music and a bunch of other things, but I formed what I would consider my first real band. What drew um, you to, to Santa Barbara? Um, you know, I was fairly aimless when I got okay. out of high school and you know, my parents were kind of like, well, you're not staying here. <laughs> <laughs> Aim elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. So kind of looked at a bunch of different options. And then, you know, Santa Barbara seemed like a one of the better ones. And I just kind of did a restart, which was like the best thing for me. And, you know, um, so yeah, that was good. I met like a bunch of people who had similar taste and, you know, introduced me to all kinds of other music, you know, like I kind of got plugged into more of what was happening currently with indie rock and that kind of stuff so when would that have been 95 ish okay yeah 95 96 okay. can you name some some artists that you're talking about um yeah so like uh i, don't, I mean there's so much going on in the the mid to late 90s you know there was like you know pavement and like you know like all that uh you know chibomato and uh i don't know if there was so many it's like all the k records stuff you know and built to spill and all that like uh so you know in santa barbara's first time me hearing a lot of this other stuff i'm just uh, gonna throw out a couple of names yeah. that remind me of the late mid to late 90s yeah. elliot smith Sebedo, oh yeah Sebedo, Sebedo, that absolutely yeah and i was a huge dinosaur junior fan in in high school but dinosaur junior like really tapped into a lot of stuff that i was already into you know it's got it's very songwriterly it's like you know i mean i love the guitar but yeah, definitely when I went to Santa Barbara and stuff like Sebado, more of the lo-fi stuff. That um, yeah, the fuzzy bass. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and then yeah, for me at least, Elliot Smith is just synonymous with. He was yeah, he was huge. Um, yeah, and really kind of changed the way people looked at acoustic guitar. Um, Would you say an influence on on your at, at the time or not on me? I mean, in a way, it's like his stuff is almost a little more sophisticated than. I was writing at the time or, you know, I mean, I very much in a chords and voice kind of way, mm -hmm. um, but he really broke that open and, and used tons of different, you know, harmonies and voicings and mm -hmm. stuff that were just beyond what people were doing. Would you, were you um, going to more shows in Santa Barbara than you did at home? Or? Yeah, absolutely. And it was a real culture of, uh, you know, house parties and, you know, shows at co-ops and that kind of stuff so there was a real scene around that time not that i was 
you know, I know there's like a hardcore scene there and there's a lot of, I wasn't, I knew a lot of those people, but I was not making that kind of music or really that connected to that kind of stuff, but definitely going to a lot of shows. Um, it was great hearing. I remember this one band we went and I heard them do, uh, uh, works, the model. And like, I'd never heard that done like as a, you know, as a band. Uh, and yeah, it just kind of blew my mind. It was, yeah. And there were a lot of moments like that. I mean, that's the thing about being that age too, is like you have, um, you know, some amazing thing that comes your way every like week, you know, like you're never going to get to listen to the first Velvet Underground album again in your life, you know, and you probably listen to it at that age and, uh, yeah, getting into Bowie, obviously. Um, yeah, so much stuff. Leonard Cohen, the first time I heard Leonard Cohen was in Santa Barbara. Um, yeah. So a lot of, lot of, um, having your mind kind of consistently blown. Oh, totally. Or, or I, there's a lot of different ways you could say like <clears throat> eyes opened or, yeah, <clears throat> discovering these new things that now you know have stuck with you your yeah. life. Yeah, totally. And being around, you know, friends who worked at record stores. You know, there's a whole record store culture, and like I'd go to, you know, my friend Adam or Josh's house and like borrow. All right, I'm going to borrow these twenty. <laughs> I'll be back in a couple days to borrow some more, and you just work your way through their collections. And it was like, yeah, no, like so. San Diego. I mean, most of my influences still were. Uh, uh, you know, like Tom Waits, Camper and Beethoven, Hank Williams, um, more on the Americana kind of route. Um, yeah, and it wasn't until Santa Barbara that my mind kind of moved beyond, you know, the sort of like highways and truck stops and black coffee kind of aesthetic, you know? So Which is a great aesthetic. It's a but... totally great aesthetic. I mean, it, I mean, I give tons of credit to that, to like opening uh, a view on particularly California culture that like opens it up and dignifies it. And, you know, I mean, it was great in, you know, in high school to be able to see these things that would be normally mundane and you look at them and it's like, no, this is a whole wealth of like stories and like interesting stuff. And, um, is it fair to characterize then, uh, once you're in Santa Barbara that, that your eyes were open to kind of a, a broader world of music? Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. Um, and more, you know, more contemporary music. I think if I did not have that experience, I would be kind of drilling deeper and deeper into, you know, I would just be kind of one of these crazy people who's just like, you know, collecting 78s and like. <laughs> Take us through the rest of your time in, in Santa Barbara, if you don't like it, or anything else. Yeah. From um, your time there. So, I mean, I was definitely getting more. I was always politically. I was always politically aware, you know, from basically high school on, I kind of, you know, you start asking yourself questions like, uh, you know, I mean, especially you're in music and it's like, how can I do this and pay for it? Right. And then like, if you follow that, you know, if you start following that stream and it's like, well, how did they do it? Oh, did houses cost that much back then? Oh, you could recycle cans and live somewhere. Why did houses cost that? You know, and you start asking these questions of like, where, you know, where can I go? How can I live a life that I want to live? Um, so it, it definitely made me politically, more politically awakened to what was going on. And Santa Barbara intensified that. Um, Were your parents political, o- o- openly, or? You know, um, not, yes and no. I mean, not, we didn't really have very deep discussions on things. They, I mean, my dad's family, um, you know, he's, his father worked in the Hunters Point shipyards. So, you know, long-term union family in that way. But uh, as kind of happened with the rest of this country, that didn't continue on to a sense of, you know, broader 
social engagement. <laughs> this so, all goes yeah. back to you starting to develop your political uh, yeah. out- outlook, or say like a worldview kind right. of thing. Then that you think that um, that really took off for you in uh, in El Cajon or in in Santa Barbara. You know, it was there in El Cajon, the but it was it came there through Woody Guthrie and reading about him and that kind of. I, I think politically, it was very much. Um, ideas for me and it wasn't really grounded in a practical i mean i hadn't read mike davis or any of the great california writers i didn't really connect that to my own life Mm -hmm. um in santa barbara that was a little more so but i don't want to give myself too much credit (laughs) (laughs) right right you know it's been it's been an ongoing growing uh process and in santa barbara was mainly i started writing political songs you know i played a big you know i played various shows that kind of talked about these things um and I read a lot, but I wasn't really plugged in or engaged in that way. I didn't really find my outlet as much. Yeah, um, yeah that came a lot later. Okay. So I guess it was probably uh, 98 I moved up to San Francisco. Okay, so you were in Santa Barbara about three years? Yeah, about three years. Three years? Yeah. Okay. From, from your life, from that point, going back at any time, what were your impressions of San Francisco? Had you visited? Yeah. So you said I, your grandfather... Yeah, my dad was born here. My grandfather worked, um, and my grandfather and my grandmother both um, worked and lived in San Francisco. My great-grandmother owned a house on Diamond Street many years ago. And so my my father is Irish and Lithuanian, and my mom's Puerto Rican and Spanish. Um, and San Francisco at the time had like a huge, at the time of my grandmother, rather, had a huge Lithuanian community in like South San Francisco, and they had their own newspaper and like Lithuanian schools and all this kind of stuff. So, South San Francisco, the city, or South the city, South San Francisco, the city. Okay, not the southern part of not the southern. Yeah, got it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so she, you know, so she and my grandfather. I'm not sure if they met here, or I'm pretty sure they met here, but they were here during the um, you know Harry Bridges and the you know the waterfront strike. But uh, yeah, so my dad was born here. I the first time I came to San Francisco was when I was 16 and my sister and I and my sister's friend did a road trip and it was one of those things like uh you know oh, we're just gonna drive all night you know and then of course like thank god nothing happened but like my uh my sister fell asleep at the wheel <laughs> so I and I was asleep like in the back and I just remember a skidding to you know a stop and you know yeah so we and I don't know if this was conscious or not but we did go like we came in through San Francisco through the north, so we could see the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh-huh. So we must have gone up, I guess, five or whatever, and, and done it that way. But it was the great way to, you know, to see the city for the first time. So was it like, her first time? I think she had been here before. Yeah. So she's um, like, "All right, kid, brother, yeah. I'll show you." Yeah, I'm not sure. I think she had, but uh, yeah, it was perfect. You know, just going through the, you, know, you go through the, the friendly tunnel. I guess it's uh, it's around Williams, Robin Williams yeah. now, but like, uh, yeah, and just seeing. I remember the the clouds, and I remember the the bridge and just like wow you know the city just opens up and uh yeah so she her friend was living in the tenderloin so we stayed with her she was renting a space with this uh, this couple that was there and yeah it just the city would just seem magical i loved like everything about it so that's that formed a big part of your impression before deciding yeah. to move here absolutely at the time though what what were you thinking like so so now we have on audio kind of <laughs> this you know i don't say like a transformation but the but the part of your your growing that happened in santa barbara and you're yeah. now a young adult maybe late teens 20 
21 late yeah yeah i think i moved here at 19 or 20 so oh, okay those, yeah yeah so you're like a, a young adult yeah um besides that literal physical impression that you had from from visiting here what was it that made you say i'm gonna pack up and i'm gonna live there so both my sisters were living here at the time so i had gone up and visited them when i was in santa barbara and i love that san francisco seemed like a place where you could live an adult life you know like be a part of a community and you know in southern california and even santa barbara which is definitely different but it seemed to me that there was always this like how do you get there from here sense of things like that nothing seemed um like you couldn't live an adult life i'm trying to think of a better way to put it like uh everything was so segregated and everything was so like you know, in Santa Barbara, it's like, well, the college kids live here and these people live here and these, you know, and San Francisco seemed like a place where you could actually be a part of something. Like here, it's all integrated and there's not, there yeah. might be a, a college campus, but it's not like a college right. town. Yeah, exactly. There's a, yeah. Yeah. And when I did move here um, and I did go to state, you know, the difference between like, you know, Santa Barbara college in san francisco you know is this night and day like yeah. i mean san francisco states like you know i mean it's a school with like a radical history and it's like a big you know commuter school in a lot of ways people live in the city and not on campus and mm-hmm. um yeah and i like that aspect of it too mm-hmm. so your sisters were living here and you did you did you go to state right away at, from when you moved here or you know i planned to when i moved here i took I took one class, a singing class or something like that. And then I decided that it was best for me to just take a year and kind of figure things out. Cause I was still in my mind, you know, you, you spend a lot of time like, how am I going to make the, you know, the music happen? How am I going to, you know, as if it's this magic thing out there that like, you know, <laughs> right. If you just figure out the password. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there was still like, my thinking was still along those lines. So I took, took time off school. I worked at, um, a catalog company called Calix and Corolla, which was in the offices on Berry Street, 185 Berry Street. Oh. And it was, so this is 90, uh, or I'm sorry, um, 99 or 2000. Oh. And the Embarcadero. That's near the, near the ballpark. Yeah. Right when they were building that. Uh, yeah, way before it was there. So there was like South Market at that point was like tons of empty lots. The Embarcadero Freeway was still like, bits of it were hanging off so it was kind of this like post-apocalyptic kind of uh environment and i would go there i was living in the inner sunset at the time and i had the the morning shift at like five o'clock so the the n wasn't running so i would take the n owl so it would be like you know get up in the four in the morning you know wait at the outside of happy donuts for like the n owl to (laughs) (laughs) and you know you get on the n owl and there's all these people who had been like you know either are just riding the bus all night or like, you know, falling asleep on you because they've been drinking all, you know, so, and it, and it didn't go all the way to Berry Street, you know, I would get to the Embarcadero or to the ferry building and okay. then I would have to walk down basically to Berry Street from there. So I would walk that path. Um, but and the waterfront did not look like it does oh, now. Not, not at all. Yeah. yeah the ferry building hadn't been built yet. There was not that, the pathways or anything like that. It was just yeah. kind of, yeah. But... Yeah, it was interesting. It was a good experience. It was kind of a good camaraderie. It was a good group, too, because it was a lot of... It was still in the days of, like, A, that there was even a catalog company in San Francisco. It was kind of like, I mean, certainly dates it. But it was also, like, uh, a real mixture of 
people like the the workforce was a real like interesting group and i had this we all had the catalogs of the desks so you could like flip to it and talk to the customers and i had taken the um like the face of the founder which was on each catalog <laughs> and using like you know scissors and collages i had made like each of the catalog with all these like you know her with b wings or her with like <laughs> and so i had that catalog like at my desk mm-hmm. and uh, the investors and you know other people were walking by and they had picked up my book <laughs> you know to show them as and, an example yeah and uh, and Jack the guy who worked next to me he's like he's like you got really lucky because they managed to flip to like the one in the back rather than the one that I did all the art on oh my god so you said you worked there about a year what other kind of this is your first year in San Francisco yeah. right so what other kind of things were you doing what were you going to shows or it's going to shows um yeah, uh, so venues. Like, you might want to throw. Um, yeah, Bottom of the Hill, um, which was a huge one for me. Cover Wagon Saloon, which um, became Annie's Social Club, I think, and then something else. I'm not sure if it's still around. Uh, Club Deluxe. That w- that was actually a little later, but I, I used to play there a lot. Uh, Were you playing in San Francisco already in that first year? Yeah, the first year was more just writing songs. Um, yeah, and yeah, I didn't really know many people here. So it was, and plus, you know, with like getting up at four in the morning, I was pretty exhausted by the time I came back. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I did some other jobs after that. I worked at a, a storage garage on Bryant street, uh, which was fun. It was interesting too, just in that, like, um, you know, I really kind of woke up to the homeless problem, which was bad then. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, a lot of people who had moved all their stuff there and that was, you know, uh, I mean, kind of a quasi shelter, you know, in some ways, you know, so I would see people every day as they're checking in on their stuff and, um, you know, had some good conversations with folks and that kind of woke me up to a lot of, you know, stuff that was eventually to get much worse in the city. You must've been here for the 99 mayoral election. I was. And that was, you know, at that point I was really trying to figure out my, my way in and uh, the green party was kind of really getting hot within the city at that point. And I went to a number of, Events that uh, Richard DeLeon, who taught at SF State, and um, Matt Gonzalez, of course, um, yeah, and various other people. But it, it was really exciting with the yeah the Amiano ride-in, and yeah, and that woke me up to city politics, especially when you consider like at that time, like I mean, that was the first time we really got district elections back. You Thanks know. to Amiano. Right? Yeah, yeah, that like you know after you know the assassinations, you know in the seventies, that like downtown basically took back power and um yeah and we didn't really have it until 2000 so and you know the district i mean such a sense of who you are in san francisco belongs is you know part of that district thing it's hard for me to imagine a city without districts right and i I think it's come up on the podcast before and just in conversations but it starts definitely with neighborhoods yeah like you start with neighborhoods and then then districts and then totally yeah and that's really i mean you know, you see the battles of San Francisco. I mean, it's always been the downtown versus the neighborhoods, you know, the, the fight against the, you know, the, the freeways and, um, yeah. So it was an interesting time to, to see that and to, to get alive to the way that city politics works and the possibilities of that, the conversation you have around a write-in candidate, like to get somebody to do an action, which is, I mean, more than just show up. Right. Um, yeah. And I, re- I, a couple of years ago, I saw the documentary of the, um, Amiano um, Brown run and there's this great moment where Willie Brown is you know in uh, 
he's he's at Third Street and he says to a crowd, he's like, I want to make sure he's like, I want to make Main Street compete with Third Street, and everybody applauds, and it's like, you know, when Main Street competes with Third Street, like Main Street wins, like <laughs> it's not Third Street anymore, yeah. like, and you know, understanding cities in that way that. I mean, Brown's a typical kind of neoliberal model. You know, he says in his uh, autobiography, like, you know, that he wants to, mayors are remembered for what they build and I intend to build on every inch of the city or something like that. I forget the exact quote. But, you know, that idea that was locked in a lot of people's heads that cities are this thing that that don't have to do with the people in the city. Cities are a thing that have to do with jobs, generic jobs or generic growth or generic wealth and you know he kind of typified that and we're seeing one of the things that makes me feel like gives me some hope is you see what you know long island city rejecting amazon you see chicago rejecting like everything Rahm Emanuel stood for um and you see san francisco starting to push back you know with the the twitter tax break like you know people evaluating did this actually do anything good for the city and that the the neoliberal model of the city is starting to break down. And Prop C. And Prop C. Jumping courts, yeah. 20 years ahead of where we yeah. were, but yeah. Absolutely. Um, and my hope is that, and I'll do everything in my power for this, but to, to get cities to start thinking in terms, not in terms of that they need to attract new people or new jobs, but that we need to support and strengthen the communities, small businesses, the people that we have. Um, it's unfair that, you know, Twitter's given a tax break and then the costs that are put on neighborhood restaurants increase. You know, that's that's not the way we should be handling things. That was Patrick O'Malley. Check back Thursday when Patrick will talk more about politics and music in San Francisco. Music for the podcast is by Otis McDonald. Film photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. All 85 episodes are up on our website, storiedsf.com. You can also help support this project there by going to our store page and checking out the different pledge levels. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay up to date on all the other stuff we do. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. And if you have any comments, suggestions of who should be on the show, or you just want to share whatever's on your mind, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.